0: Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Roekel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano. And I wanna let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Barard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you wanna get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christlychurch.ca or you can visit christlychurch.ca slash Kitsilano.
1: Scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 to 27. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it, a few. Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous oaths. You will recognize them by their fruits, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You. you may be seated.
0: And as you're seated, I wanted to let you know about something special happening today. Um, we are in our Proverbs City, our series at Christ City Church right now. and We're learning all about wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Um, but this morning, we're going to take a full sermon just to jump to the wisdom that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount, the passage that we just read. And we have the blessing of uh, having Dr. Jonathan Pennington here um, to come and to lead us in the, the sermon this morning. Um, Dr. Jonathan Pennington is, uh, is one of my old professors, the seminar that I attended, and is one of the men in my life, in my formation as a Christian and as a pastor, um, who I think has had some of the most significant influence. Um, so I'm just really deeply grateful uh, for him. And he's not just a professor. Uh, there's really a, a strong pastoral tone to all that he's done as a professor. And actually, that's because he is a pastor. He's a pastor at Sojourn uh, Church in Louisville, Kentucky, um, and has an incredible ministry of discipleship and work that he does there as well. Um, He's also uh, older and wiser than myself, so I'd love to look to him. I'm going to plan on asking him lots of questions, not about uh, theology, but about parenting and family a little later today, uh, Mm -hmm. if that's okay to learn from him. He's got six kids, three of whom are adults, all of whom are adults, Mm -hmm. three of whom who got married last year. Uh, so in a, in a different stage of life than than my own, but it's a delight to have him. So, Dr. Pennington, when you come forward, I'd love to have you come up here and preach the word for us. Can I pray for you as we Please. begin? Be great. Father, I want to thank you for my brother, Jonathan. Lord, thank you for the gifts that you've given to him. And we thank you most of all for your word and for your spirit. And we pray that you would work through the power of your word. You would show us, wonderful things that would grow us in wisdom grow us in life according to your gospel we ask this in jesus name amen thank you well good morning so good to be with you here
2: well back in the 1990s when i was in university my wife and i had some friends who went on to be missionaries in hungary and after they were there for a while, they came back and they brought us a, a gift that I still have. And it's a poster that's probably it's a print from an image that was drawn probably in the 1800s. And maybe you've actually seen it. I've seen it in lots of other places since then. It's all in Hungarian. And this poster is obviously trying to tell a story. And it's oriented uh, you know, vertically. And on the one side, on the uh, on the right hand side of the poster, a very small section of it, there's little images little, if you imagine like kind of nineteenth century cartoons, you know, in the sense of little people doing a bunch of a bunch of good things, you know, like uh, going to church and helping the poor and and doing you know various acts of service, et cetera. and at the top of that side of the poster is the clearly the celestial city, these angels and beauty and the sun shining, et cetera. But then most of the poster. The vast majority of it on the left hand side is the same thing lots of pictures of people doing a bunch of bad stuff, right? So, going to places they shouldn't go and punching each other and betting on dog fights and playing cards and whatever, else, whatever you put in the category and people in the 1800s put in the category of bad things to do. And at the top of that side of the poster is, as you might imagine, this city that's on fire and destruction and and people dying now maybe you've seen a poster like this like i said i've seen it in in lots of other situations now um and whether you have or not though i can imagine that you might be able to guess what verses are printed at the bottom of that poster and my hungarian's probably about as good as yours Um, but it was pretty clear it's easy to figure out that what's printed at the bottom of that poster are some of the verses that we just heard read, Matthew 7, 13, and 14, where Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for easy and broad is the way that leads to destruction and fear those who find it, but narrow and difficult is the narrow way that leads to life and fear of those who find it. And that poster that I just described to you represents how most Christians probably over time have understood those verses. Maybe that's how you think of them as well, that they're depicting these two different ways that you can live in the world, being a good person, following Jesus in those ways, doing good things, and that leads to life, and it's narrower, there are fewer people that do that, and then the ways of, you know, doing bad stuff and living an immoral life, and, you know, there's a sense in which, at one level, that's true, right? I mean, we've all seen in our own lives or other people's lives that how you live does matter, and it ends up affecting how you die as well. Well, that turns out, however, to be a question. (laughs) Is that what Jesus means by those verses? I want you to hold that thought because to answer that, we first need to recognize that those verses, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, like all the verses in the Bible, they don't stand alone. They're part of something larger. And the thing that they're part of is the most famous teaching from Jesus in all the last 2,000 years. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Are right? familiar with it? Matthew chapter 5 to 7, the first teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. right? It's only a few pages in. And these verses, 7, 13, and 14, are actually part of the conclusion, and they're actually part of the whole thing that we had read. I'm really glad we read the whole thing. That is a three-part conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. So to understand... Those famous verses about the broad and narrow gates, we have to not only realize it's part of this conclusion that we had read, but it's part of something larger. And so the question I want to ask for us, and if you were paying attention, some of the things that were in that larger text sound pretty scary. Depart from me, I never knew you. There's some pretty intense things in those verses. But those three images of a broad and narrow way, true and false prophets, And then wise and foolish builders all of them go together and here's the question i want to think with you for a few minutes together what is jesus saying here at the end of his most famous teaching and how in the world did those three seemingly very different images broad and narrow gates true and false prophets wise and foolish builders how in the world do those go together are they consistent do they do anything together what are they saying and then of course, most importantly, what is Jesus saying to us here today? And so if you have a Bible, that's great to open there with me to Matthew 7. You can pull it up on your phone probably. We'll put the, scr- the verse on the screen as well. It's good to look at it with, with your eyes too as well. And what i want going to do is I just want to walk through these three images and then try to answer that question. How, what do these images mean and how might they go together and what's God saying to us today? So let's start with that first one. right? Again, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So probably it's pretty obvious even though we don't really have gates into our cities anymore. I was just in Jerusalem a few weeks ago and was reminded again especially the old city is very typical of ancient cities where you've got gates to get into them and and this is the image here that you've got two different kinds of roads. You can imagine a, a big, broad, well-paved road and the Romans paved amazing roads that lots of people are going down. It's easy. It's easy to walk on. It makes transportation good. And then you've got like cow paths or, or tracks that are maybe used enough but by some people, but they're not easy to walk on. They might be rock, rocky and, and hilly, et cetera. And this is the kind of basic image that Jesus gives us here. And why does he use that illustration? Well, he's not just, you know, trying to paint a quaint little picture. He's actually saying that it's a matter of life and death. Did you see that? One of these paths leads to life, both a flourishing life now and in the future. And one of them leads to death. And it's a good question to ask ourselves. Which of those roads would you say is better? <laughs> I mean, which would you rather be on, right? Right especially if you have to carry a bunch of weight. Which would you rather be on? I think any of us would want to be on the smooth road. The road that is easy and broad and isn't hemmed in. That you could take a Sunday stroll on. You're walking down at Second Beach along the seawall, right? That's the kind of path we all want. But Jesus says that path that is natural to us and actually... And so this is, you, know, you see, it's a little different than maybe that Hungarian poster I described. It's not necessarily bad things. It's actually quite a good life. It's the easy way. And he says, that's the way that leads to destruction. So what's he saying here? And as Brandt mentioned, I know you're in a series of wisdom. And this is wisdom. This whole Sermon on the Mount is wisdom. It's connected to Proverbs. In fact, in doing this, Jesus is standing in a long line of teachers and prophets before him, Moses and Joshua, Solomon and others who would instruct people in God's ways by using what we could call the two ways idea, that there's two ways you can go in the world. Right. If you've been in Proverbs, I don't know where exactly you are in Proverbs, but the first eight or nine chapters, it's all about that. Right. It's here's one way of inhabiting the world that's going to result in a good life that you long for. And here's one way that's going to lead to destruction. Think back to Moses and Joshua. Choose this day whom you will serve, right? Every time, every day in our lives, we are faced with a choice of really two ways. One that's going to shape us to be a certain kind of person and one that's going to shape another. That's what wisdom is about. But probably the most famous place this comes from that you may not have ever connected to the Sermon on the Mount is the very first psalm. Psalm 1. Do you remember how it goes? Blessed or happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the Lord. Remember, it's these two ways. And do you remember how the two ways end up? One way leads in chaff, or it's just nothing, dust. And the other, what's the image? Anyone? A tree, a verdant tree that is planted by streams of water that's bearing fruit, right? This is the same two ways. Idea. And so, what's Jesus saying here in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14? Well, although you might read it and think he's emphasizing the number difference that few find it, and that's true, right? There are more people at Stanley Park this morning probably than are here. <laughs> it's okay, right? I mean, that's true. In some sense, few find it, but I don't think the numeric difference is the real difference the difference is between the ease and the difficulty and here's the question what is he saying what is the easy way and what is the difficult way well if you were to flip back into just two chapters chapter five and we don't have time to look at all this i wish we did i'm teaching a whole class on it this week (laughs) here in town But if you were to look back just a couple chapters into the beginning of this sermon and read through chapters 5 and 6, you could do it this afternoon. It'll take you about 20 minutes. What you'll find is the consistent thing that Jesus talks about all throughout the Sermon on the Mount is that there's a way to inhabit the world that is actually religious and doing good. And so it looks good for people, and it's very clear there are rules you can do and yet it leads to destruction. The easy way, if you go back and read through the Sermon on the Mount that he's coming to here, is the way of actually focusing on doing good things. So unlike our Hungarian poster where the, the easy way is all this bad stuff, what I think Jesus is really saying in the Sermon on the Mount, if you go back to chapter 5, maybe you've heard these words before, he says, you've heard it said, do not, kill I think most would say yeah we agreed that's bad I'm not going to kill anybody but he says but I tell you don't even be resentful or hating towards someone in your heart or he says you've heard it said don't commit adultery and I think we'd all agree like societally morally financially you know adultery is not very wise but he says and I say to you But are you full of lust towards your friend's husband or wife or someone else? You see that, and it goes on and on. The narrow way, the difficult way is something different than we think. It's the easy way is the way where you're doing all the stuff on the outside. And so, and I'm going to come back to this here at the end And press into this, but I think what we really need, using the images of 7, 13, and 14, I think we really need a three-part poster, where on one side is living a life of immorality and destruction, and that, that does lead to destruction, and then on the other side, another path that leads to destruction, according to Jesus, is actually living a religious life on the outside. And the narrow way is something different. And let's look at the next couple of images more quickly and see what they might be. Let me read for you the second image he gives. It's a little longer. He says in 7:15 and following, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, too, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Hope I'm reading the same translation. Am I? Hope so. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? and do mighty works in your name, and then I will declare them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Again, those are heavy words, and I don't have time to unpack many things and many questions you might raise for us, which is okay, and I'm happy to talk with you afterwards, too, if you'd like, but the, what I really want to point out is that in this second example, the second way that Jesus is concluding his sermon It's kind of weird because these verses don't even really go together. Did you notice there's kind of like, he's kind of mixed together a couple of metaphors, right? He's mixed together a couple of images where he's got this sort of thing with wolves and sheep and then he's got trees and fruit. And they don't seem to immediately go together. And in fact, it's kind of an odd mixture of metaphors. It'd be like, maybe you've, seen these it'd be like if you said in English it's as easy as falling off a piece of cake or it's time to step up to the plate and lay down your cards or we've got to get all of our ducks on the same page right that's what we call a mixed metaphor where it doesn't quite work and actually that's kind of what seems to be going on here but there's something more profound going on but but there's actually even a bigger problem if you think about these two metaphors they actually seem to say the opposite thing because the idea of a wolf in sheep's clothing, right, means that you can't tell that they're a wolf, right? Where the tree fruit image is that you can tell a tree by its fruit. Have you pondered that? Don't worry, I have an answer. I'm not going to sleep. Thanks for coming today, right? Now you're going to just be pondering that. I think there's something very profound going on here. There's more that we could say, but just let me solve that little issue for you. And that is that what Jesus is saying here very subtly, this key idea that's all about the Bible, you can can tell a tree by its fruit. In other words, the kind of fruit, healthy or, you know, a bush that produces blueberries versus thistles or whatever it is, you can tell, but sometimes it takes a while before you can tell. So in other words, this, by combining these images, I think what he's saying is that there are wolves that look like sheep. But if you pay attention for long enough, the true fruit will be shown. The true reality of who they are will be shown. And so it's a very powerful little combination of images because Jesus says, yeah, you will eventually, everyone will be shown out. But sometimes it takes a while. And I think the other thing he's doing with this image, and it's going to tie back into the other ones too, is to recognize that, you know, what are the things that God really values versus what we value? A lot of times it's the showiness, the externality of the gifts. I mean, what, what is it that these wolves in sheep's clothing, why are they successful for a time? Because the things they do look so amazing, casting out demons and prophesying and being great teachers or business leaders or whatever they are, Jesus says, there's a valuing of the external that eventually will be shown to maybe be not all that you think it is. So again, hold that thought in your mind. Let's look at the third image then, verses 24 to 27 then everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, Jesus says, will be like a wise man. Ah, do you see? This is all about wisdom. It's just like Proverbs. The one who hears Jesus' words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man, just like Proverbs, a wiser, a fool who built his house in the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So with those words, Jesus finishes this most famous of his teachings, Sermon on the Mount and notice again, it's, it's all about wisdom. It's about how you're going to live. And notice what a great image this is, a house. Like, what kind of house are you building? That's such a powerful image to think about your own life. Are you building a house that is, because, because a house is important, it's where you live, it's where you dwell, it protects you, becomes part of your identity. Um, it's where, you know, things happen, good and bad things. But a house is a great image for our lives. And he asked the question, what kind of house are you building? Or But notice, not just what kind of house, but really what kind of foundation are you building that house on? And he makes it really clear what the difference between building a house on rock or sand is, is hearing Jesus' words and then actually following him, doing them. And this, if you, you know, if that language of like Jesus saying, you have to, listen to me and do them, if that sounds to you like the opposite of grace, I want to want, to, want you to ponder that with me. Is it the opposite of grace for a father or a mother to lovingly help their child see that if they continued on these paths of, you know, drugs or immorality, or whatever, that it's going to result in destruction? Is that legalism for a parent to say that to their kid (laughs) no it's love i mean you could say it in a mean way but a a loving parent does exhort and invite their children to live in a certain way with some at, at appropriate time some warning or is it legalism or the opposite of love if you're being trained to be a lumberjack up in the up in the mountains and the experienced lumberjack says, here's how you climb a tree, here's how you're not, here's what you do with your chainsaw. If you start to fall, <laughs> turn it off, right? And jump away from the direction of the tree and the branches. Is that legalism for the, for the, train, for the uh, lumberjack to be trained in that way? No, it's love, it's wisdom. Or if you're trained to be a fisherman, you're young and you're out there and the captain says, here's how to lock down you know, the, the, the mass or the, the um, sails and here's what to do in a storm. No, it's because that exhortation, including the warning is so that you might live. It's not the, it's not the opposite of grace. It's wisdom that comes from love. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. And so then to return to my big question that I started at the beginning, what, what is, how do these all fit together? seems like three very, very different images but i think they all go together and taking the whole sermon of the mount together and i'd sum it up this way i think there's one idea that ties all this together and it's this jesus the king of the universe the wise sage of the world is calling you and me to pay attention to the inward realities of our lives not just the outward ones what are all these images doing together? I think all these images together, in them Jesus is inviting us, calling us to pay attention to the inward realities in our lives, our hearts, the Bible would call them, not just our emotions, but our, our whole inner person, not just the outer ones. And think back with me on these images. The broad and easy way of religious piety, the broad and easy way of being a moral person, It's not bad to be a moral person, but he's saying you you and I can actually be a very moral and religious person without ever really paying attention to what's going on inside our hearts. We can say, I didn't kill anybody. I haven't committed adultery. But Jesus says, I'm glad because those things are bad for you and for others. But is your heart full of Anger and resentment, bitterness towards someone, maybe somebody else in this room who's wronged you, maybe in a major way, maybe in a small way. Or you may not have committed adultery, but again, is your heart full of lust? Covetousness. That can be sexual. It can be houses, <laughs> cars, whatever it is. The broad and easy way, Jesus says, is actually primarily being moral without being honest about what's going on inside your heart. Or think about the the false prophets again. Do you see that it's the same inward versus outward? They are inwardly wolves. They look like sheep. And they do all these flashy things that people would say, you're amazing, that's great, awesome. You fill in the blank, whatever you think that is. And he's saying... It doesn't really matter. I don't even know someone if their heart isn't really attuned to me. Or think about these wise and foolish builders. If You kind of extend that metaphor out. What's the difference between the houses before the rains come? The houses, you couldn't tell. In fact, in some ways, probably the house built on sand might even be more amazing. Because it's a lot cheaper to build a house without having to dig down into a rock, right? Luke's version of this emphasizes the the person who digs down. The The idea is building your house on a rock, that takes a lot of work, actually. A lot of money and expense and time and manual labor. But the two houses may look exactly the same, may look amazing. What's the difference between the house that actually is lost? You can just imagine houses built on wood. On, uh, On coasts, it happens all the time. What's the difference between those two houses? It's not actually the house that you see. It's the foundation underneath it. It's what's going on inside at the foundational level. And so do you see all three of these images are really getting at the same profound insight that the whole Sermon on the Mount is about, that God sees and cares about your heart. He sees and cares about our inner person. Yes, what we do on the outside matters. He does care about our behavior because it does shape us and it affects other people. But the focus on our outer appearance, our outer gifts, our outer morality, if it's not actually coming from a transformed heart, from an inner person that has come to know and see God, then it actually doesn't matter. Depart from me, I never knew you. And so you see, this is very powerful and is very nuanced because he's not just saying... You know, what you do doesn't matter. Just be a good person on the inside or just love me. What we do does matter. But he's also saying something that's probably more challenging to you and me. And that is that you may be coming to church. You may be living a good life. You may be trying to do what's right in your business or whatever it is. But you may even be using that energy to not pay attention to what's really going on inside. And that's what Jesus, all throughout the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew, calls hypocrisy. When you and I hear the word hypocrisy, we tend to think of someone who lives a double life. Like they, oh, they look like they're awesome, but then they're off there doing evil things. That is a kind of hypocrisy. That's actually not the kind of hypocrisy you see in the Bible. The kind of hypocrisy you see, especially in Matthew, are the Pharisees who were righteous people, they were morally upright people, they had the Bible memorized. They had advanced theological degrees. They were, I mean, I think a lot of them were probably very good people. People like the rich young ruler you meet later in Matthew 19, who by all accounts really is a good person. He's respected. He's living a moral life. There's nothing wrong with that in that sense, unless your heart is disconnected from God. And that's what Jesus calls hypocrisy. A disconnect between our external lives and our internal lives and he doesn't want that to be the case. I think of it like in the old days when you go to a furniture store when televisions were huge. You older people, you can remember this, right? They were too expensive to have these huge televisions for flat screens. so you go to a furniture store and so they would have like these mock televisions that didn't have any insides. You remember this? So you could just go up to this huge thing, you just pick it up, there's nothing. It's very possible to be a faithful church member and be a fake television in a furniture store. Because it's not going to work. And sooner or later, when somebody tries to turn it on, it will be shown that it doesn't work. So God cares about who we are in the inner person, and that is what ties all of these teachings together. So what do you do with this? <laughs> What does this look like? Like, let's say you're, you're aware, you're paying attention. There's something here for me. This, this, something is ringing true and maybe you don't, maybe it's overwhelming, but what do you do? Well, as you think about, and we're all imperfect in this, but as you think about trying to live in this way where you're not just focusing on the externals, but you're actually willing to look inside. I can think of a lot of examples in my life where there's been a disconnect but there's one in particular that I always go back to and remember is when I was first starting to kind of learn these things many years ago. I uh, was teaching at a like a two-day-a-week school thing that where some of my kids were at. I was teaching uh, Bible class for what we would call middle schoolers. I don't know what you'd call it here, but like basically, I don't know, at the end of primary school, so sixth, seventh, eighth graders, we'd say in the States. Uh, so, you know, like ten, uh, t- t- 12 to 13. 11, 12, 13-year-old boys, okay? So I love kids. I have six of them myself, and we had four boys. It's awesome. Teaching Bible to 30 of them in a classroom, um, not so much my... Bucket list desire, but I did it, you know, for several years. And I remember one day, it was mostly just, you know, shepherding cats most of the time, it felt like. Um, but I remember one day in particular, I had taught on Genesis and the creation accounts, and there's different views on that in the church history. And I was really careful and talked about it. And I felt like, wow, they were like, the boys were like really paying attention and whatever. Well, imagine my chagrin then when a couple of days later I heard some rumblings standing at the, you know, soccer pitch or whatever with mothers and that all these mothers of these sons were upset with me and they were all talking with each other and texting with each other and emailing. Can you believe he said that in class? Blah, 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 blah. And I started to hear rumblings of this and I was not happy, right? Because I thought, hey, I'm giving myself to teach your kids and I did a really good job. I was really careful. And none of you are coming to me with your concerns or whatever. So I thought, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna write an email. So I sit down, you know, type cat on the keyboard, type out this pretty heated email that's going to be taking the higher ground of like, as Matthew 18 says, if you have a problem, you should come to them. You know, I've got all the spiritual answers, right? All the biblical answers for it. My wife walked behind me, looked at the email and said, I don't think you should send that. And I'm thankful that I didn't, right? It was, it had some heat in it, right? And so I realized, okay, that's right. I'll take the humble route here. Um, I'll just write an email to them and just apologize for anything that I had miscommunicated and say I'd be happy to clarify whatever. And And that was the right choice. I'm glad I did that, right? And I've been a Christian long enough and just a member of human society long enough to know that a kind answer, as the proverb says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So that was just good human wisdom, right? And I'm glad I was kind. And I, and I took, you know, I didn't nuke the situation, right? And it, it was fine. I'm glad I did. But over the next week or two weeks or so, I just kept finding myself being still upset about this. And what I like to say in the in the theater starring Jonathan Pennington, where I'm the where I'm the perfect hero in my mind, and I I do everything right, and everyone's amazed at how I'm brilliant, and you know, inside this false theater in my mind, I had all these words going through my head and, and anger in my heart, it's like I'm Dr. Pennington. You're mad at me about teaching. I mean, all the words, you know, all the ideas. Forget it. I'm just not going to teach. it. I'll just go back to teaching graduate school, anyways. You know, I mean, all these. I mean. And I realized, okay, there were three things that could have happened. I could have responded poorly, like nuked the situation. That would have been bad. I did better than that. I, you know, took the humble route. But the God wanted to do something deeper and more profound than that. He wanted me to start asking, why did that upset me so much? Like, what is it? that I think about myself that I could never make a mistake? Or what is it that the idea of someone criticizing me makes me so angry? Well, it's because it's tapping into my fears, it's tapping into my shame. And I realized God wanted to do something deeper. I mean, I'd already, you know, progressed enough in my Christian life to not do bad stuff, but he wanted to do something deeper, which is to actually say, I want you to pay attention to what's going on inside your heart. And I want you to, I want by the power of the spirit for you to become more whole, for you to pay attention, for you to confess that kind of stuff, not just the external behavior and to actually become by over time, a person who genuinely can forgive and genuinely is okay to recognize that I make mistakes and, and okay to actually reconcile, not just externally, but in my heart as well. And that's just one example of a million. And so to finish up our thoughts today, I I just want to say to you, you know, when you're hearing these words from Jesus and if you start to pay attention almost immediately, you're going to realize that in every way our lives are mixed. We have mixed motives and inconsistency. and We might have a great moment and then of like spiritual service. And then we're proud that we had that, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, it's so tiring to be a human <laughs> because once you become aware of God and once you start paying attention to your heart, not just your external behavior, it's really tiring. It's really hard. And, and, it, and it actually is, feels really shameful and feels really embarrassing. And so what a lot of times we do is that we just shut that down. We don't pay attention. and We just kind of double down on, on doing the right thing. But as Jesus' ambassador and priest today, I want to re-say what he's saying. Come. Come and take my yoke upon you, he says, and pay attention to what's really going on, on inside because He's looking upon you with a smiling face. and He wants you to find life. The point of these teachings is not, well, you're dead. The point of these teachings is, I want you to find life. I want you to go in the narrow way. I want you to build your house on wisdom. I don't want you to focus in the externals. He wants you to find life. Just like a father or mother, or maybe you didn't have a good father or mother, maybe a great uncle or whoever, someone who loves you and is giving you wisdom so that you might find life. This is the way to find life. Jesus is saying, don't just double down on the externals in your lives. Start doing the interior hard work of asking, why do I show up the way I do? Why do I keep struggling with that? And know that he is looking upon you with a smiling face and wants you to find life. And you find life by being honest and vulnerable confessing your sins to others, maybe getting counseling help, therapeutic help, pastoral help, whatever you need, this is the way of life. The way of doing the honest internal work, which is the narrow, but the beautiful way. So let me pray. We thank you. Uh, jesus we we believe that you really said these things, and that you died, you rose from the dead, you ascended, you are seated at the right hand of the Father, you and the Father have sent the spirit now that convicts us of sin, that helps us see ourselves more clearly, that also empowers and strengthens us to not just be stuck to not just be stuck in these these ways of inconsistency and and hypocrisy so God on my soul and on all those in my hearing today would you have mercy and bring new levels of wholeness bring some reconciliation bring some honesty and vulnerability in our relationships and in your presence and we ask you to do this and heal us jesus bring us life and we pray in the powerful name of jesus amen